Hi, I'm Mel. And I'm Sass. And we're going to take you away from the play. Monday. Yes, who's back? Whoa, ho, Monday, indeed. So happy to be back. We had someone you know pretty I well, know my favorite person. We had Mara McDougal-Barry. She's the assistant coach at the women's hockey team at St. Lawrence University. As you know, I went to St. Lawrence University. Mara was my coach for four years. We have remained good friends since I graduated. She's an incredible human. We got to talking about coaching at the NCAA level. We talked about, you know, the impact she has with her players. Obviously, we addressed the pandemic. Um, it was a really great conversation. This was recorded a long time ago, but everything... It'll be like a throwback to the start of the yeah. pandemic. <laughs> start of the pandemic, but everything is still relevant. And um, yeah. we really hope you enjoy it. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited about this episode because I get to speak with one of my favorite people. Mare, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for being with us. Away from the play, I couldn't be more pleased to be here with you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. We are so happy to have you. Now, mm -hmm. first question, normally we've been asking people have they been holding up during COVID, but I think this is going to be important to cover near the end because, as we know, COVID has kind of changed the entire landscape of everyone's life, but sports have been uh, greatly impacted. And, you know, with fall coming up and the return to school, potentially return to sports, no one really knows what's going to happen. So I think maybe we'll cover that part um, near the end, but I hope you're holding up okay during COVID. Um, what we really wanted to tell people is and introduce people is to your career. You know, you were, you've been the assistant coach at St. Lawrence University for the past like 13 years. And prior to that, you were at Wayne State. And prior to that, you were a player. So I just kind of wanted to know, how did you get into coaching? And was it something that you've always envisioned doing? Or is it just something you kind of fell into after being a player? You know, we do see a lot of ex-players become coaches. So for you, how did uh, this kind of career path emerge? Yeah, um, I mean, there's one word probably underlying opportunity. Um, I was I was really blessed to um, have a great relationship with my assistant coach at Mercyhurst, um, Jim Fetter. When I was in my senior spring, Jim had gone from being the assistant at Mercyhurst to the head coach at Wayne State, and he was assembling a staff. And Jim and I had had a great relationship during my time at Mercyhurst. And he approached me, you know, wondering if I would be interested in coaching. At the time, I had plans to go overseas to play. And so there was this kind of balance of doing the young fun thing or seeing what the opportunity um, to get into coaching would look like. And now, in hindsight, um, you know, Jim is now out of college coaching, but um, anytime I have a chance to see him, you know, the hugs are plentiful because getting into coaching is becoming harder and harder. 
mm-hmm. um, with regards to especially that direct. I mean, I graduated seven days later, I moved to Detroit and I was coaching. I think there were two girls on my original um, Wayne State team that were actually older than me. Okay. So with a, a, a lack of real world experience, I jumped into it with a lot of hands-on passion and commitment to the student athletes. When we took the program over at, at Wayne State, along with my fellow assistant, Grant Kimball, who's now an assistant at Yale University, um, you know, it was just a lot of sweat equity and a ton of love for our student athletes who had possibly not had the best experience um, in their college careers prior to kind of our arrival there. So for me, it was 100% dumb luck and building relationships. And that certainly has um, kind of become the underlying theme to my coaching career at St. Lawrence. Um, you know, that concept of, of relationships being so much more important. You know, your, your fancy team-issued sports bras and sneakers will wear out at some point. Um, and so knowing that, you know, what you want to leave your, your college experience, whether it's as a student, as a student athlete, or as a person, is with relationships. And I'm really proud of the fact that Jim thought enough of me, um, you know, as a a college senior to think that I could impact a program that he was taking over, especially knowing now what I know about how hard it is to get head coaching positions. So off I went to Detroit. And again, I'm, I'm forever grateful because that really set up um, not just my coaching career, but I think a lot of the course of my curiosity as maybe an empowered and uh, cultured woman growing up in Saskatchewan, um, you know, living in Detroit those first four years after graduating from a small liberal arts college in Erie, Pennsylvania, uh, were a real, it was a real awakening for me as a person and as a coach. So um, I have so much love for Detroit, for Wayne State, and then for, for Grant and Jim and those first student athletes who really embraced me when I definitely didn't know what the heck I was doing. Um, <laughs> I did it with a smile and I did it with love, but um, every day was an exercise in, in leadership and leadership as a woman and getting to know myself as someone away from being a hockey player. Mm-hmm. You know, I have never spent a September away from hockey. I've always been a player or a coach. And so um, I haven't had to step away from the game. I haven't had to leave my love for it, but I have had to grow up certainly and, and take that love in different directions. Um, you know, certainly as I get further and further away from playing hockey. What was that transition like from being a player and then becoming a coach? You talked about it a little bit now in terms of leadership and just, you know, going in there with a smile and, and just doing it. But, you know, what was, do you remember what those like first experiences were like as you no longer as a player, but now coaching other players? That was a really special group of, of young women. Um, and, and I will say again, their willingness to embrace me as, um, as a woman in leadership, I can tell you that that is not an easy task. And certainly, um, for someone with with a lack of experience, where I, I I most certainly could have been pushed, my first senior class at at Wayne State, in the same way that our first senior class at um, St. Lawrence under Chris Wells, really set the tone for just knowing that um, they were going to take whatever I asked of them and run with it because they know I was going to go with them. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a it was a hard transition away from being a player, certainly because you're walking away from a team, and all of a sudden now, your players are not your teammates. Um, so those ideas of coming to the rink and having confidants or, you know, an automatic group of best friends 
that transition to stepping back and really making sure that I was being a sound female role model. Um, that was really important to me. I also lucked out because I was um, admitted into a PhD program at Wayne State um, in American history right from the get-go. And so I was exposed to other types of people within the Wayne State community that helped me park hockey. Yeah. Park it. Park it. You know, and so there was there was time to switch gears and and learn and expand my horizons. And then when I went to the rink, I fell back in love with hockey. Um, but Jim didn't have the expectation as a head coach that the only thing in my life was going to be hockey. And that certainly has stayed a constant um, in Chris Waltz's coaching philosophy here at St. Lawrence. You know, they're first people, then they're students, then they're student athletes. And so I think I picked up on um, that real desire to love, nurture, get to know my players beyond the rink during my time in Detroit, for sure. Yeah, and I, I agree because, like, when I kind of left St. Lawrence and then I, I came to McGill University, I no longer had hockey. And, like, that transition was, was kind of difficult for me. But at the same time, I just started my master's and, like, it kind of gave me the opportunity to explore another side of me that was always there. Like, I you know, I was always interested in academically and I did research at SLU but you know hockey was a big focus and I think it like allowed me to kind of explore that different side of myself and then a year later I started volunteering to help out McGill and their their hockey team and then I just came at it with like a different perspective kind of like you said saying like these are people like you know I, I spoke to other like some of these girls about school more than hockey and then I think it's it, came, it kind of gave me the realization that like it's you need to grow people and then you're, you're also going to have that performance follow suit. Now that was kind of your transition from a player to Wayne state. How, how was the transition from Wayne state to St. Lawrence? Like, does it drastically change from one school to the next, or is it really like one head coach that you work under versus another? And like the environment's very different. I remember I played Wayne state mayor and like, it was weird. Cause like there was like security just to get to the rink. We can't in New York, you just leave your cars and your laptops laying around and it's fine. <laughs> so yeah. how, how was that sort of transition for you? So when I, when I had the opportunity, I, I really, um, again, monster thank you to Ted uh, Wisner, known affectionately in the St. Lawrence community as Boomer. Um, Boomer. I had gotten to know Ted professionally through Grant, my fellow assistant, because Grant and, and Ted are road warriors. They love recruiting. That is the part of coaching that fulfills um, them the most. And so Grant and, and Ted had this great relationship and then St. Lawrence had a job opening. So Jody McKenna was the longtime um, assistant here. And when she left, you know, Ted had said, you know, I remember being at, uh, we have an annual coaches conference every spring down in Naples, Florida. It's terrible. I promise. Um, <laughs> and I remember, you know, Ted saying, you know, Jody is, you know, she's got some opportunities. She had been the U S Olympic assistant coach. Um, and she, um, you know, is now at Wesleyan as a, as a head women's hockey coach. But when she left, you know, he was just kind of picking my brain. He knew how much I love Detroit. I had Detroit Tiger season tickets. I went to a ton of concerts. I love, you know, volunteered at the Detroit Institute of the Arts. Um, I really had, was kind of shaking my, my farm girl self in a lot of ways. And so moving to Canton, New York was a decision where it was too 
two different worlds, my academic self and my, you know, pursuits as a PhD student or my pursuits as a coach. And I really felt at the time stepping back that, you know, coaching opportunities at a place like St. Lawrence University, walking into historic Appleton Arena, I played at Appleton Arena as a player at Mercyhurst. I coached at Appleton Arena at Wayne State. Um, I remember walking in it, taking my breath away in both instances. And, you know, every day, you know, it's, it's never lost on me how lucky I am to call that place home. So for me, taking that chance on my coaching career meant putting my my academic career on the shelf. You know, St. Lawrence is a small liberal arts institution and mm-hmm. we, we don't have advanced degrees beyond a master's in educational leadership. Um, but in talking with my family, in talking with people within the coaching world, you know, an academic degree, at least, I mean, careers, I know we're going to talk about COVID later, are, are getting a little bit more complicated. But I, I jumped into the coaching career knowing that um, I was taking a job under Paul Flanagan, um, still one of the most respected women's college coaches and, and humans in the game. And, you know, I, I stepped into coaching, you know, these will be some old school names, but anyone that's listening that knows ECAC hockey history, you know, I'm, I'm walking into coaching Chelsea Grills, Annie Gay, Sabrina yeah. Harvick. Um, so my transition here was a lot more daunting, a lot more intimidating because these were, you know, th- those young women had been to an NCAA tournament in every one of their three prior years. You know, mm-hmm. the, the seniors had an expectation of success. And so when I came, they probably tested me a little bit more than um, my Wayne State crew, just as far as how invested am I? You know, they had had a, a longtime assistant in Jody, who was a wonderful person and and was supportive and was demanding. And they wanted the same things from me that Jody had provided for them. And Jody and I, you know, well, very good friends and colleagues couldn't be two more different people. So that first year here was a, um, a wake up call in a lot of ways because, you know, I, I lost my Detroit social scene, which I was willing to sacrifice, but I was still doing that as like a 27 year old woman, you know, Mm -hmm. who, um, who really valued other things beyond hockey. I wasn't, you know, my value as a coach was, was enhanced by learning, growing, changing, seeing things, hearing things, being in places, eating good food, meeting amazing people. Um, And I was almost coming home. You know, Canton is just like a small town Saskatchewan um, Mm -hmm. town. And so it did not take me long to know that I was exactly where I was supposed to be and where I wanted to be, you know, stepping onto campus and, you know, being in, an academic setting like the one here at St. Lawrence, um, you know, just looking at the opportunities provided to our student athletes. And then, like I said, walking through the doors at Appleton Arena every day, you know, that first year quickly became um, a wonderful experience for me and the the jump off point for the rest of my career here at St. Lawrence. Yeah. And I think, I mean, so everyone understands like Canton is like super small, like I know, I think the student body is like maybe 2,500 students and then the Canton population when the students aren't there, what, Mayor, like a thousand people? I don't oh, know. Oh, no, six. We at least have six. six <laughs> okay. It's it's very small. We are the county seat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and there, there's like one street, one main street. Yeah, the restaurant options aren't that glamorous, you would say. I mean, there's a couple sure. of hidden gems, though. Like, yeah. I feel like it's really grown over my years, but it's such a beautiful place. And I, I had much the same feeling as you did, Mary, when I first came to campus. And I think 
this kind of experience resonates with a lot of people who go to SLU. It's just such a special place. And uh, I don't know, you kind of either know right away if, if it's for you or not. And, you know, Appleton, like you said, is historical. It, it, even with the new renovations, I was just speaking to Safia before off the air saying, like, it's the most beautiful place. And, like, they renovated, but the bowl and, like, the experience feels the same from the inside. They just have much nicer locker rooms now. But... Uh-huh. Different. It's different. Different different feel. But Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, since the transition, obviously, in your environment was quite different. But I know at SLU, you did a lot more than just being an assistant coach. Like, logistically, you're also our, like, strength and conditioning trainer. And, like, personally, I know you did, like, organize the travel, etc. Now, for is this something that's, like, unique to maybe St. Lawrence or or your guys' cultural, like, philosophy to coaching? Or is it, like, is it typical programs like this I mean can in St. Lawrence is like typically a D3 school with D1 hockey programs um just for people who don't really know what your day-to-day job is is like is this typical for an assistant coach to have all these responsibilities and could you walk us through maybe just like one day pre-COVID when things were up and running um so that's a it's a great question because every Every Division One women's hockey program is a little different. Okay. You know, so if I'm talking about the ECAC, you know, we have our six Ivy League institutions and then the six non-Ivy Leagues. But the Ivy Leagues are nothing alike, right, with regards to resources, mm-hmm. you know, day-to-day approach to hockey, day-to-day approach to athletics um, facilities. So the neat thing about the ECAC is that we do have um, four institutions, St. Lawrence, Clarkson. Union and RPI that are all division three schools with division one hockey. And then, you know, you're, you're bumping into a school like Quinnipiac who has heavily invested as a division one institution mm-hmm. in facilities. Um, and, and Colgate as an example that has built a, just recently built a brand new rink. Mm-hmm. So there's, n- there's nothing the same from program to program other than um, not looking over your neighbor's back. I have learned very early in coaching um, that thou shall not covet my colleague's job. Everybody Mm -hmm. has something that each of us would want and everybody has something that we absolutely would not want to be doing. And I think for some people, when they look at the work that I do, um, such as, you know, I mean, I switch the laundry over when I walk into Appleton in the morning. That's the right thing to do because our equipment managers are students and I don't want them having to bomb over to the rink at six o'clock in the morning. You know, that's, that's a yeah. basic human gesture that I learned growing up on a farm in Saskatchewan. So <laughs> I would say philosophically, because of where I grew up and how I grew up, my job at St. Lawrence is very second nature because I don't do the job for myself. I take a lot of pride in coaching. I take a lot of pride in coaching, you know, strong, successful, smart women. Um, but all of that is to say, there's not one part of this job that everyone shouldn't be willing to do, you know? So from, you know, flipping laundry and ordering equipment to um, being the strength and conditioning coach, doing specials in the morning, you know, whatever it took, that's, that's how I looked at it to make sure that our student athletes have a great experience. We may not have the um, financial resources that some other institutions have, but in some ways I love that we don't have, some of the resources mm-hmm. because our student athletes see 
the love and care and attention that goes into all of the details. So it's not corporate. It's not, um, you know, even a Title IX uh, juggernaut with regards to some of the schools that are like, okay, so if football is getting 14 pairs of sneakers, then women's hockey needs to get 14 pairs of sneakers. Yeah. Like, we're not chasing mm-hmm. something that isn't important to us. But again, um, so when I came to St. Lawrence, I was working for, for Paul Flanagan. Paul grew up in Canton, played at St. Lawrence, was the assistant coach of the men's team, and then took over the women's team when it went Division I and, and became a scholarship program. When Paul left for Syracuse, Chris Wells got the job. Chris Wells is a Canton native. Yes. Chris Wells was captain of the men's team. Chris Wells coached the men's team um, before taking over the women's program. So Paul and Chris as um, native Cantonians, but even more so Laurentians for life, they set the tone as to what was important in our program. And it wasn't the things, it was the people. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's, you know, people are like, oh, there's nothing to do. When there's nothing to do, you spend time getting to know people on a different level. And I yeah. would say our coaching staff in the same way that, um, you know, b- because I'm not chasing that that same, certainly early in my time here, there was a, a transition. But, um, you know, a lot of, of where St. Lawrence gets its... Um, you know, sets its tone is the same with every college hockey program. Where is the school? Who's on staff? What's important to the athletic department as a whole? Um, you know, there is a culture, culture around St. Lawrence hockey that is very person forward. And that comes from the two men, certainly that I worked for. And then on the men's side, which is a super fun and awesome story. Um, I'm going to send this podcast to Joe. Um, <laughs> we have a volunteer assistant, Joe Marsh, one of the most yes. respected coaches in ECAC hockey history, who coached the men's program for 24 years, um, who has fallen in love with coaching again. You know, he, he got out of coaching, in, to be honest, namely for health reasons, took a step back and then he was Chris's coach and Chris worked for him um, as well. And so Joe is volunteering with Ted, Chris and I, and it's like, again, where else in the world can you have someone with so much coaching street cred? Um, and he's willing, yeah. <laughs> he's willing to volunteer. I mean, he's, he's, um, he's all about the relationships with the student athletes and he's such a special addition to our staff, but um, that doesn't happen a lot of places because someone would be looking for like a speaking fee or, yeah, um, mm-hmm. you know, w- what's in it for me as I retire and move on from here. Um, I think we all look for ways to give back to St. Lawrence and certainly to our student athletes. And that's, that's just the, the culture of St. Lawrence hockey for sure. It's nice to to hear you talk about it. Cause I mean, I, I obviously didn't go to St. Lawrence, but hearing uh, about the school from Mel, from Carré des Morts, and uh, from you as well, Mara, it just seems like such a, there seems to be such a nice community feel. Um, and when you think of like NCAA athletics, you just think of like the commercialization of the entire thing, right? Especially when it comes to, I would say more like football and stuff. But, yeah. you know, like if you just superficially think about it, you know, I, I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't click to me that, okay, no, there are some programs, some universities that have a much more, person-centered uh, approach and it reminds me a bit of how it was with Les Canadiens because everyone was a volunteer so yeah. we'd all kind of like chip in and <laughs> do odd jobs here and there and you know it was it was hard 
would we like more resources? Of course. But again, I think it says more about the people uh, than anything else. So, um, uh, Mayor, I wanted to know, you know, in terms of you've been a coach for a while now. So how has coaching evolved throughout your your career? Yeah, um, most certainly, um, I, I will say there is a level of competition. You know, women's college hockey is just I mean, it's lights out. There are so many talented young women playing hockey. Um, the process of being recruited, unfortunately, in some ways, you know, we're, we're leaning scare, in, in my opinion, you know, a little too much to elitism, you know, with regards to how do you get seen? How do you mm-hmm. get connected? How do you get to a school like St. Lawrence? Um, but I will say that a lot of people have come and go in my time um, as a college coach. And early on, you're looking up, you're, you're struggling to find mentors, you're, you want to get in the right rooms, you want to get at the right table. Um, for me, it was always about learning so that I was better prepared to coach my, you know, my student athletes. But for some career-centered and ambitious coaches, it's also about the next job, the next step for them. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you, you figure out pretty quickly what's important to you. And there's room for everyone. There's room for uber competitive people whose careers are centered around the next job, the next step. Um, there are, there's plenty of room for people that want to, you know, be athlete centered. There's plenty of room for people who don't quite know what they want yet because they're young coaches and it's going to take them some time to figure out. And, um, you know, COVID's provided me a a great opportunity. I've been reading like crazy. Um, and I, you know, everything from some new releases and obviously, um, you know, reconnecting with, uh, my, my black history studies from when I was in Detroit, but I just, you know, has been rediscovering philosophy, a little bit. And Henry David Thoreau said the price of anything is the amount of life you exchange for it. And everyone sets what that price is. So for me, I'm not willing for a job to do the following, right? Where there's some people to be a head coach that are willing to exchange a large part of their life to have that really prestigious title. Mm-hmm. And so I often get asked, you know, as an assistant, like if this is, are you going to be a, is this it? Are you going to apply for head coaching jobs? You know, um, and rereading that, that passage from Thoreau, you know, has, has really helped me reframe how college coaching has changed for me. Um, that there are a ton of great people that I believe have similar values as me. And there's a ton of great people that do not have similar values to me. Um, and that's the beauty of Canton, New York. Once you get here in the St. Lawrence bubble, you know, I've learned from, from Chris so much about like eyes on your own fries, like be careful what you wish for. Everybody's missing something where they're at. And so um, I, I think it's very competitive in recruiting and it's very competitive on the ice, but ultimately um, the human beings that we're, we're putting out into the world, these, these wonderful, curious, strong, competitive um, young women that are leaving our institutions, there's a commonality from the time I came to St. Lawrence 13 years ago to now. Um, and, and that I'm really proud of. So 
um, you know, sadly, I think there is a common thread that there's, there's a very small percentage of female head coaches and opportunities for female head coaches. Um, we certainly have seen some, some nice placement here in the ECAC, but that is not without, you know, my little asterisk that I work with two wonderful men who value their, their roles in our student athletes life as much as I do. Um, so it's, it's that balance of knowing what does opportunity for women in sport look like. Um, and unfortunately it probably looks a lot like it did 20 years ago. Um, salaries are, are, are certainly increased. There is this element of, of competition that didn't, I don't think exist when, you know, someone like Digit Murphy, a pioneer in our sport was literally like driving the Zamboni sharpening skates. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> no one wanted that job and she did it so well. Um, but now that salaries are, you know, you can call coaching a career now and, and call it a career proudly. I do think at times that that kind of cutthroat um, nature has become more accepted and, and it's not problematic to me because it doesn't affect me. That's just not how I recruit. It's not how I shape my Mm -hmm. career. Um, But I've watched a lot of really good young um, assistant coaches burn out, fade away because they weren't given the opportunity to grow as people and to make mistakes and, you know, they, they weren't told to go home the way Chris, you know, allows me to, sadly not this summer, to Saskatchewan to get, you know, topped up and filled up with the goodness of my family. Um, I don't think everybody, you know, works in a, in a situation like that. So, mm-hmm. again, forever thankful, but um, certainly nothing against the, the ambitious career-oriented people that are like, you know, coaching in order to get to the next step. If I could tell any young coach the absolute truth, there is no equation because everybody's career looks very different. Some people do the Mm -hmm. Hockey Canada, USA Hockey route, and that is um, an excellent way to get elite athletes to your program, but that often comes at the toll of the coach's time and ability to be a coach to their own athletes at their institution because they're gone a lot Mm -hmm. and they spend, you know, I think close to four weeks in Calgary, not this year again, um, for the Canadians a year. So mm-hmm. that's an exact, that's, a, that's something that's come over me several times. You know, should I be doing more elite hockey recruiting, coaching, um, or should I just continue to, you know, make sure that my St. Lawrence student athletes and alumni know that, you know, their, their person matters as much as their player. And we still had some, I mean, amazing athletes and we found some success, you know, on the ice and, and we are, um, you know, a program that is respected for that stance. But I will say, you know, I think a lot of young coaches just maybe get a little caught up in what it should or could look like um, and what it's not, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, You mentioned earlier that becoming a coach is, it's harder and harder compared to maybe when you, when you started coaching, why is that? Is it because there's less of an opportunity now, you know, people are holding on to their jobs longer. What have you kind of observed, observed uh, in that regard? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know what? I think that it's, it's layered um, because the, the path up, you know, if I take two of our former captains, Carla Marto, you guys just mentioned, and Amanda Bouye, 
who both graduated from St. Lawrence and immediately became Division One assistants. Um, the same opportunity that was afforded to me. Um, why is it that I'm still coaching and they're not? That would be the question for me. That in a lot of ways, um, and I think both of those, I mean, uh, Boo has gotten back into coaching at the high school level already. I think both of those young women um, had to had to learn and shape and, and step outside of what coaching is, but could easily come back to coaching and, and do an unbelievable job, both of them. So I, I think the, the opportunities, our, our game is not growing. Um, you know, we, we don't have women's hockey at Michigan. We don't have women's hockey at Notre Dame. Um, we just had St. Thomas, which mm-hmm. has transitioned into the WCHA, which is really exciting because we're getting another Division One program. Um, but what an opportunity looks like to me and what an opportunity likes, looks like to someone else, I think are different. Again, having grown up where I grew up in the values, it didn't matter to me if I wasn't making any money when I started. It didn't matter if I was working 18-hour days. That's just what had always been modeled for me. You know, my my parents, um, my, my father uh, took over his father's farm. And so the concept of like putting in hard work is second nature and you did it out of love. So that was something that was modeled for me where some of my, um, you know, colleagues in coaching have got out so that they could do other things that were either more rewarding to them intrinsically or externally. Mm-hmm. Um you know, you're never going to get rich coaching. And there certainly is the element of, um, you know, risk management that is new um, and and ever, ever present for a lot of us that um, you can scare yourself out of wanting to have meaningful relationships if you're, with your athletes if you let yourself do all the, the folklore about coaches getting sued or fired or, you know, those sort of things. So I, I do think that there's, there's stagnation in some ways in coaching because honorable professions don't offer those same, you know, Instagrammable moments. You know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to Aruba on spring break people. Uh, that's not what's happening. I'm going to like Stony Creek, Ontario. Um, <laughs> so it's a, I love Stony Creek by the way, right now. How many good players? Um, yes. <laughs> Um, but so it's, it's, it is a, maybe a bit of a culture shift that way. And I'm interested to see what happens post COVID. I know we're in it, but I can look forward to seeing what happens. I think there might be a resurrection of these, um, careers of humility. You know, Mm -hmm. I think we might have a surge of teachers, coaches, people that are willing to sacrifice because they've seen what happens when, um, we're all kind of left to our own devices without that love, care, and attention. So that's that's my hope, certainly. But um, you don't get into it to to make a million dollars. You get into it to make a million memories. And I, I certainly feel so lucky to be in the profession. Such a good quote. <laughs> but, Mayor, I mean, I hope you know that, like, Cax and I are always in the locker room talking about our experience at SLU. And it's not to bash some of the other programs because everyone lived their own experience. But I can tell you that, like, there are very few players I've encountered that speak with so much passion as Cax and I about SLU. And I think, I think it's like, I think you only see it after you graduate. Like, I always appreciated the program and what you guys provided for me. But when you're in it, you know, you're just like, 
you're like drowning in school you just want to win like you're just training you're exhausted the whole time and I think it's just hard to appreciate how much like you guys help us develop as people and like I think that's what's important especially for like most collegiate athletes aren't gonna go make their sport a profession and so much more with women's hockey we don't really have a professional league currently that pays enough to have like a livable wage and I think many many programs or many sports follow kind of that route and I think it's realizing that you know you're there to develop uh people not so much athletes that you want you want to succeed and like instill that competitiveness in your players but it's really how can you transition that to the rest of your life and like I think like what I kind of retrospectively where I see that kind of biggest lesson came to fruition was how I chose my master's degree because like for a long time I was like debating two programs and one was in this like higher pressure cooker lab where I would probably publish a lot more and a lot quicker but I wouldn't really be doing research I would just kind of be there taking over someone's project or I go with who I ended up with, Michael Hendricks, who was a, a new professor at McGill. He had just come from Harvard. He had one other lab student. Like, he's basically building his lab. So I would have to start everything from gra- uh, scratch. And I think that I just, like, I was like, I want to go with this guy. Like, he he's motivated. He's passionate. And, like, after meeting with him, he's very much, like, you know, you're doing a master's degree, but you're living in Montreal, and you need to live your life as well. So I think that's kind of when I realized I was like I feel like I learned that at SLU you know where it's not it's not about kind of the end goal that is all shiny like I got my publication etc or I have an NCAA championship I mean I could have gone to other schools that maybe had I guess higher skilled in quotation players but as soon as I went to SLU I was just like this is where I belong like this is my home Um, I guess like how with recruiting you know kind of becoming more competitive Mara how how do you help how do you choose a player how do you help kind of relay that message you know because sometimes I feel like there's so much pressure to young athletes now like I have parents coming up how do I get my daughter recruited I'm like, like is your daughter having fun that's all that matters like Mm-hmm. You know, I'm so thankful for my mom. She, like, we didn't even know you could go to college. She was just like, are you having fun? Okay, like, keep playing hard, you know? So <laughs> and it's I interesting because there's some, there's, this is the first year of, of what was a conscious effort. I, I applaud, again, the lacrosse and softball community for really taking the lead on this NCAA-wise. And that's the fun part that I, now that I'm in this part of my career, I am also learning to connect with women and coaching outside of my sport um, because there are commonalities, but there are things that are distinctly different in each sport, which is so cool to step back and learn. And I've had some really great, um, there's an organization called we coach and it, it is for women in coaching. And when you start hearing these stories about the way in which early recruiting is starting to get curtailed, it basically was a grassroots mo- movement. Um, to say this is not good for the prospective student athletes, their families, our coaches, our institutions. And so they came up with these new kind of rules. And again, it sounds crazy from where I started when you couldn't call a a prospective student athlete until, you know, July 1st going into their senior year. But 
this is the first year of it's a June 15th. You know, I know the Canadians, I, we always get so stuck up. My mom, like I've been doing this forever. And my mom's like, what, what is a sophomore? I'm like, mom, I love this <laughs> so much. Um, I was like, you're acting very sophomoric right now, mom. But, I know um, but so, you know, June 15th, after your sophomore year, you can now accept calls, no limit to calls. Okay. However it is that you want to engage with coaching staff, you can, you know, if there is a silver lining to something like a global pandemic, I will say we are under, um, um, NCAA bylaw control right now. No recruiting. Yeah. Currently, it's until August 31st. There is distinct thought that they are going to push it all the way back until January 1st. Um, just to allow prospective student athletes and college coaches to focus on their own health and wellness and, and their mm -hmm. families. Um, but this is to say that, like, right now, I'm getting to know these prospective student athletes in a way that I haven't had time to do in the past. Because, yes, we've already seen uh, an elite trove of young women commit without visiting schools. Yeah. That's going to happen. But, um, you know, the young women that I'm speaking to, I'm using Zoom, I'm using FaceTime to, to see them in their environment, to meet their families, mm -hmm. to exchange podcasts, you know, the, you know, you know, to talk about. Taylor Swift's folklore, everyone's going to have an opinion on that, you know? <laughs> um, so these are the kinds of things where like, I feel this is a little old school. Like we're mm -hmm. having conversations about whether a student athlete, prospective student athlete will fit in our locker room. Yeah. And I like that. I like knowing that, you know, character does stand for something. And um, because for a long time when we had eighth graders committing um, Which is just wild. Little loopholes in NCAA legislation. It just, um, it, it didn't allow for, was it, you know, legalized gambling as, as Chris and Ted call it, but it, it, you know, because you don't know how the player's going to develop, but how yeah. do you know that a person's going to develop? And at a school where, you know, we are with our team a lot and our team is representing our team all the time because it's a small school. We're the only division one women's program on campus. You know, why do I want to have kids in the in our locker room, in classrooms, in the dorms, on the bus with us that I don't really like, you know, yeah. I mean, it's an eight month season. I, I really want to like, first of all, then love our, our student athletes. And I, I am encouraged. We do actually have like a couple bumps that we need some fine tuning. Um, the rule that we were looking for was no calls until June 15th and no offers until August. And we, mm -hmm. we missed out on the NCAA legislative process um, somehow. Um, this will be discussed. We're, we're doing a program called Coaches for Coaches, navigating through COVID-19 mm -hmm. together through our American Hockey Coaches Association. And we're going to be meeting with some NCAA representatives, just an open house for all college coaches to hop on and be like, okay, what are we doing with our, you know, yeah. COVID protocol? What are we doing with recruiting? Um and while we don't have, in my opinion, the kind of sport where we have rules so that, and then we work hard to not get caught, there's only, um, I, I would say there's a small handful of schools that always find a way to twist and turn, to bend, but not break okay. um, rules. I think there's a lot of people that used this new legislative process to, pardon me, legislative process to really reset the way they recruited. And, and I, I personally am, am really enjoying that time um, because I don't, I'm not working camps right now. Kids aren't forced to go to camps right now. Yeah. There's no, there's no worry about evaluations. It's, you know, there's no way for me to evaluate them hockey wise right now. I'm evaluating them as people. They're evaluating me as a person. Yeah, it's true. Um, 
and I, I like the exchange and then and then we'll start watching hockey again at some point but I, I think this has been a really nice um like I said, aside from some of the outliers, kids that committed right on June 15th, um, this has been a really nice time to get to know these kids again, um, that when they commit, I'm really excited about mm-hmm. where they're going to be within our St. Lawrence community and culture. Well, the pandemic has certainly uh, changed uh, how we how we do things for everyone in, in any domain. So I think it's I think now is the time to kind of talk about that. I mean, you know, just at the start of this podcast, you said every September for the last 13 years, you've been, you know, working on hockey and working on the program, working on the team. And now with the pandemic, I'm guessing that might have changed that or maybe modified it in some way. So can you talk to us about how it's affected uh, St. Lawrence University and its hockey program. Yeah, I think I think it's important to note that it's it's impacted everyone. Obviously, sure. maybe that's the tie mm-hmm. that's binding us all. That the yeah. tie that's binding us all. That there's no, there's no one that hasn't been affected, right? And so, one hundred percent. You know, it's important to understand that there's the NCAA, then there's your respective league or conference, then there's your respective university, then your respective sport. So. So hockey at any one of these institutions is getting directives from many other levels before they're making a, a decision as to, to what their program looks like this year. And um, for, for us, it's, it's really important to maintain that connectivity. We're working really hard that, you know, there's no answers right now. And that's frustrating for a lot of student athletes. They have always thrived on, and I think this is a, an innately female division one science major, Mel, um, <laughs> you know, continuum that it's like, they want to know the things that are black and white and then they'll kind of stew in the gray and we're in the gray period. Like we don't know what's coming. And, you know, certainly I'll, I'll use, you know, a, you know, the, the student visa policy recently, you know, ruled down, you know, but this idea that students couldn't come to America and only take classes online, um, that affected college hockey. I know that sounds crazy, but, you know, if I'll give examples from our league that Princeton and Harvard were going um, exclusively online, their institutions. So until that ruling got (laughs) overturned, they weren't going to be able to have Canadian hockey players on campus, period for the entire year right so like yeah in some ways you again you just need to be pensive and problem solve where you can and help keep connecting the dots but you have to be so prepared right now for like a sharp left pivot because (laughs) you can think that everything is in place you know we had a beautiful return to play protocol all you know gussied up in google sheets and we were ready to go and then it was like Yep, you pretty much can just hit delete. Thank you. <laughs> like, you know, you're just like, what? Yeah. You know, new state mandate, and and that's the other thing, right? Like New York State, where where we're functioning out of, um, they keep adding, um, at risk states to the list, and those kids are going to have to quarantine for 14 days. Um, hockey has never been less important, and hockey's never been more important. You know, you got to find something to connect you to everybody in your life. And so, you know, we're, we're entering, I guess, coming out of this time when there hasn't been any sports to watch on television. Um, and I certainly could, you know, go on a tangent about the value of that for young athlete activists and, and the fact that we've all had to sit up and be like, 
wow, this is a mess rather than jumping into just watching our favorite, you know, professional sporting team. Um, I think this was a, a, a very painful and costly moment of awakening, but I'm very hopeful that that awakening is going to carry over into this next generation of student athletes on our campus who continue to ask why. You know, right now, there's an, I'm not frustrated when our student athletes are like, well, well, why are we doing this, Mayor? And sometimes the answer is, I have no idea. You know, it, you yeah. know, I don't, I don't know the answers, but I'm going to tell you that um, we're going to put you in the best situation to be successful. So um, America is a huge country and different regions feel different sentiments towards COVID-19. So -hmm. you have some areas within the hockey world that are really pressing to keep playing hockey. And you have some areas that are like, let's take a step back and, and we'll revisit it in January with hopes of, of having more details. But for us, it was going to affect potentially our student athletes eligibility. And I would never want someone to make such uh, a weighted decision without as much information as possible. So we were lucky because our institution went to a three semester model and we were able to take a step back from fall semester. Okay. So we'll be staying home um, because we didn't feel like we could provide them with what we think college is. And we didn't think we could fully keep them safe from, Mm -hmm. you know, not just from COVID-19, but from themselves. You know, you're putting 18 to 24 year olds who's, you know, God bless it. Their frontal cortex is not fully developed. <laughs> you know, they're not they're not going to be able to you know have the sharp nose and perspective that we, the coaching staff, are. And there's not as much room for mistakes um, as there normally would be for college students um, yeah. nationwide. I mean, these kids are going to be expected to to really grin and bear it. So um, I would say every every coaching staff is making some really hard decisions. I feel lucky because our staff is making them together with our student athletes, what is important to us and, and moving forward. But ultimately, you know, I've, I've been joking, you know, whenever there's a twist or turn that it's like, this is not summer camp. It's a pandemic. Like you, mm-hmm. you got to roll up your sleeves. If I got to scrape, you know, gum off the Berkman gym floor, because that's what St. Lawrence needs of me. Let's go, let's do it. As opposed to, well, this isn't the norm. Um, yeah you have to find a way to, I think, continue to contribute. History will judge us. That's just a fact. And, and Mm -hmm. how we come out of this, um, I think certainly will be a statement on, on where we are as coaches of, of the future generation of feminists and women leaders and, you know, partners, wives, mothers. Um, and I hope that they're learning a lot about themselves and about leadership during, the pandemic, whether that's for good or for bad, you know, this is a time when they can step back. I think, and I've had a lot of conversations with our student athletes about um, things that don't revolve around hockey. And yeah. to me, that that's really important. You know, we're still facilitating their growth as student athletes and making sure that, you know, as they transition out of the, the interesting thing is like, we still have some kids that are literally putting a backpack on their back right now with like laundry detergent in it to work out in their basement because <laughs> yeah. their region of the country is not open yet. So, you know, you've got that and then you've got other kids that are, like have a full gym or already skating. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a very interesting time in college hockey. Um, but, you know, sure. compassion, it's just, you know, I've got this, this coffee mug. I laugh about, you know, my life with 
my husband and, and my dog, Louis Riel, and the things that he teaches us. And, you know, I have this, this mug with the Prince quote on it, dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to go through this thing called life. And that has been my absolute go-to mug during COVID, you know, quote turned in as I'm walking down the street because we're just going through this thing called life. is that no one knows the right answer to anything at the moment like we we definitely have some guidelines that you know have markedly been beneficial and should be followed etc but I think as far as like just sports and any kind of job like even you you may I hope you guys have the resources um you guys need as far as like your mental health too because you you know you probably have all your students relying on you right and and you also need someone to lean on. It sounds like, you know, the coaching community has come together and, you know, you guys have each other. But I, I think it's nice to see kind of the beauty in it. And I think hopefully some of your players are just like taking the time to reflect. I mean, it's markedly going to be sad because I, I would just I would have kind of been devastated this season, you know, just if it was my senior year and I didn't really get to finish it out, um, you know, and I think everyone has the right to be a little bit angry at the beginning but I think with time you kind of realize that like everyone is suffering right now and some more so than others and you know it's it it gives you a sense that like it's not all about you and we need to work as a team like a, a larger community to to kind of beat this thing and get through this thing and you know it's it's funny you said because like I've been mulling over how like how can we restart like college any collegiate sports and like even if you implement like mask wearing and social distancing and like you said is that the college experience I would want to go back to you know like do I want to be on and and am am I responsible enough to really say like at 2 a.m when I have to go to the bathroom I leave my dorm am I gonna wear my mask in the hall to use the communal bathroom Mm -hmm. Mel, you know? we, we all know that's the least of our worries of what you guys were doing at 2 a.m. when you were in college. <laughs> I know. Okay. I was trying to be- okay. But <laughs> however, like, my there will be, um, be no jungle juice. Like. Yeah, no, I know. And in, in some ways, um, you know, isn't that, isn't that the most valuable life lesson we can provide for this next generation yeah. of athletes? Like, are they not going to be so much less selfish than we were, right? Sure. Um, and, and I'm intrigued. And I've had, like I said, these these really connected re- conversations and time with our athletes that I would not have had. Um, you know, we you just you just don't. And and it's not in a time like this in the summer when you know, student athletes have their own identity. And I think that's so important. It's it's really important to our St. Lawrence motto. Like when you're on campus, when you're at Appleton, you're a division one athlete, but we want you to, you know, have life experiences outside of being a division one athlete, because you, in, in, again, this is our staff philosophy that like you then cherish each of your own identities. But right now, you know, these are really a lot of the conversations you're having are deep and meaningful. And mm-hmm. what are your, what are your hopes for, you know, this year? What are your hopes and dreams for beyond here? How is your family doing? You know, you've got th- this plethora of, of experiences where, you know, student athletes are back at home in a different way than they, than for some of them that they've been in a very long time and they're navigating what that looks like. And, 
it's also the ability, um, and maybe this is something that I'm most proud of, you know, you know, when you're talking to your seniors, a little different than when you're talking to your freshmen, but it's also holding kids to task, our student athletes to task, that it's like, listen, you're, you're okay, you're safe, your family's healthy, you know, let's have some perspective on what's really important here. And so the conversations do vary from, I'm listening, to can I offer you some insight, to moving forward, here's our goals, like, yeah. And you have to feel out where each of these young women are in the process of those conversations. But um, I, I feel closer to our student athletes than ever because our experience is very shared. We are all missing something very near and dear to us. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I really do feel strongly that, that maybe that, you know, despite some of the other stuff that's going on, um, you know, beyond the college sport world that, that we are learning to maybe listen a little better and to stop and smell the flowers and to be a little bit more compassionate towards each other. Um, and that doesn't take away from, from being a kick-ass athlete either. You know, I have been long a fan. I'm very blessed because I get to teach at St. Lawrence and, um, you know, I, I, I feel, so lucky to be able to, you know, have experiences with students beyond our own student athletes, but also um, to kind of explore the role of sport and society. And the uptick of athlete activism right now is just something that is so inspiring. And we are really coming into a moment where um, I think athletes are making a huge difference in some of the really basic fundamental questions of like, equality Mm -hmm. and and their own student athlete experience you know um there's a football player at mississippi state who single-handedly by refusing to play football for that institution um got the wheels turning on taking the confederate flag the confederate flag portion off of the mississippi state flag like that's power you know football has that kind of nuance Um, Mm -hmm. i think it's it's a great time for for sport and it's a really hard time for sport and you know if we if we all you know find a way to to keep progressing in those nuances I think we're going to be okay but if you if all you can talk about is the power play and penalty kill with your student athletes right now you're in big <laughs> yeah. trouble you're in big trouble because it's just not on their mind it's yeah just, it's just not on their mind right now at all there's, there's um, such a duality to this moment I feel mm-hmm. like I personally just like fluctuate from like seeing the beauty and like of it and then just the sadness of it just like thinking of you know our people at risk and our healthcare workers and just economically you know financially a lot of people are suffering too but I think there's such positive as far as like morality that I'm hoping we'll see sort of the product of this growth later on you know A logistic I guess a more logistic question Mary like you know you guys aren't going back in the fall and you know what if what if January things have been improved but like some programs are comfortable going ahead like you know now you don't have a complete like I guess field of teams 
how does that work? And are players eligibility, like, is everyone just going to redshirt this year if they can't play? Are, are rules getting implemented so, you know, yeah. there's not too great many redshirts? Or... Yeah, great question. So, um, again, the NCAA is focusing on fall sports right now. And even though we were supposed to start our first game September 26th, we're not a fall sport, we're winter sport. So they have given what's called the Division Three To the Division Three athletes, they gave a blanket waiver that you could okay. pay up to 50% of the allowable contests that your sport can sponsor. So, you know, women's okay. hockey, I believe we're at 36. So all of a sudden you could you can play and then you can stop yourself and say, Okay, but that's for fall division three sports. Okay, so we're waiting to hear from the NCAA as to what you're doing for fall division one sports, but we're also waiting to hear what the winter sport parameters look like. And this was a big reason why we chose not to bring our student athletes home to to Appleton because we're like, we don't really have answers for you. Um, But I will say, each of the conferences, we, we just were on a call with the, the commissioners of the four major women's hockey conferences. They each did a, a really great job um, reassuring their coaches that they are trying to get those sort of answers. There are a couple scenarios where the NCAA allows us to move our championship back. So instead of March Madness, it's May Madness. Okay. And we play full and robust ECAC schedule. You okay. know, 28 games, that's an Ivy League schedule. We're good. Yeah, but yeah. what happens? if they won't allow us to move our championship and now you're talking 12 games yeah Um, and ncaa eligibility is different from institutional scholarships so you may be able to get your eligibility back but at a school like st lawrence where you know and and many member institutions within our own league now all of a sudden you've got to take a step back and um talk to kids about where the money you know we don't have money available for you for this year or that year like it's yeah. not as easy as oh my gosh yes of course we want you to have a super senior year it'd be great to have you back it's yeah how much is that super senior year worth to you and I think being at a division in th- division three institution has given me a ton of perspective for that because some kids will spend twenty thousand dollars to play soccer next fall yeah you know, they're, they're like I want to have a senior year I want to do this right so I'm going to come in to St. Lawrence University and pay for tuition and yeah. room and board. You know, like for some people, it's that important. So um, I think there's no wrong or right answer when it comes to student athlete eligibility. It's just a constant flow of information mm-hmm. and constantly asking them for feedback. Where are you at? How are you feeling about this? And yeah, you know, yeah we don't know, um, but we certainly okay. will not play in a single contest until we have... 100% let our athletes know exactly what the ramifications are of playing in that contest or up to 12 contests or up to 28 contests. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll be able to make a decision. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, you, you want them to be able to make a decision and you too, with just a little bit more information, like right. now we'll right. just be going in a little bit blind and, you know, having also a lot of Canadian student athletes too, like you don't want to limit their ability to go back home or come back and, and, and like you said, just like not even just Canadian borders, but like uh, state borders with different hot yeah. spots, et cetera. And w- with SLU being where it is, you know, travels generally far and I don't know. It's yeah, tough. and or, or the opposite, very near that a lot of our student athletes in, in Appleton decide to come because they want something close enough that their parents aren't showing up on Saturday night, yeah. you know, unannounced, but close enough that they can experience watching them play sure. and be a part of their you know, St. Lawrence life. So 
I mean, again, I just, it's not a matter of self-importance. I feel the same way with the professors at St. Lawrence, like good coaches and good professors um, are playing an amazing role right now in Mm -hmm. so many people's lives. Right. Um, And making sure that we're keeping a good eye on each other and and getting people to the resources they need, whatever that is. Um, But you just have to keep holding yourself accountable, right. That like, this won't always be this way. And, you know, it's important to, you know, I've never been away from my family as long as this. I've never not seen my parents. Um, I'm in six months now. So, um, you know, I feel again, COVID lucky that my husband who has a, you know, a a job halfway across the country at um, St. Scholastica, the College of St. Scholastica as the athletic director, we've been able to spend some more quality time together than we would have normally. But um, if I, as a coach, as an adult, as a functioning human, air quotes functioning um <laughs> and and feeling the impact of covid and and what it means to my expectations on how to be a, a daughter an aunt a sister you know that your student athletes are feeling the same complications with a lot less life mm-hmm. experience to convince them that everything's going to be okay so i think conversations like the one we're having are so important and you know you just have to keep encouraging the people that are doing the good work to stay connected to you know and that's what i've loved about our coaching body being connected over the last month, actually, this week is the last week of programming, um, formal programming, you know, we we can really be there for each other, because we're all going through it together. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that means a lot, I think, to, to each of us, but also as a collective that, you know, I don't, I would never want women's college hockey players to feel the impact of, of their coaches frustrations with the, the COVID restrictions in New York state, you know, I just keep being like, okay, here we go. <laughs> this <laughs> sure is a new speed bump. Yeah. yeah. Make sure you got a new, a cute news. Mayor, just for the sake of time, I think we're going to have to call it quits, but it's been like so wonderful speaking and hearing from your voice. I wish, you know, we could be in the same room at this moment, but thank you um, so much for yeah, sharing yeah. your, your experience, especially, you know, right now with COVID and, you know, I hope I hope things improve for everyone, and I hope we all grow from this. Um, the the nice thing is, right, that like, and again, it's just maybe because of the kind of student I was. You know, you love to talk about your science. I love to talk about my history, but you know, we we will we will be judged by our behavior right now, and maybe that is bringing out the best in us. But um, I will leave you guys. So, uh, Father Greg Doyle started a um, it's called, it started something called Homeboy Industries. So he's a Catholic okay. priest who, um, you know, his parishioners are former gangsters. He's living in South Central. Actually, I take that back. Um, it's not South Central, but it, it's Compton um, in California. Mm-hmm. And he started something called Homeboy Industries, which is now, I mean, it's grown exponentially um, to like a garage and a bakery and a, um, a real estate company, ways in which people, incarcerated people can come out of prison and and get a second chance and he's super um you know inspirational regardless of whether you're catholic or secular um he's written written a couple beautiful books about redemption but he this is you know this this founding quote for me as far as like when covid started reminding myself what kind of coach i wanted to be so his quote says um we don't love people so that they will return the love we don't put people in debt we wash feet and say maybe you'll do the same so this concept of um, paying it forward, you know, before the pandemic, you know, think about all the things we were talking about. Think about all the things that were important to us as women who love sport, 
who, um, you know, want to make a difference. And so this concept of like, this isn't for me, it's for someone else to do, you know, again, I know it, it, it is a quote unquote religious story that he's quoting here, but it reminds me a lot of what we can do to get through those tough days, um, you know, as, as women activists and feminists and people who love our sport of hockey, knowing that um, it'll be there when this is all done, as long as we keep staying digital, like diligent and taking good care of each other. Yeah. So thank That's you guys beautiful. for the opportunity to talk to that. This has been uh, a really nice opportunity to, to feel connected to life before COVID. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Mayor, and for, you were just very thoughtful. And it was a it was a refreshing perspective to to have. So thank you. We can't wait to have you down to to Appleton someday. Um, I can't wait. I, I've, I've never been. I'll know where I live. The door's always open. The dog only barks for a minute. Um, help yourself. That's fine. I love dogs. <laughs> we literally just walked into Mare when she wasn't there. She was yeah, like, I, "We're I, like, Mare, where are your house?" Yeah, come on in. Right. Um, I, I have to say hello to my loving husband. I I don't know when this is going to to hit the podcast but um I I certainly like I said little silver lining that we've gotten to spend some time together and for you know the first time in my 17 years of coaching um I will not be on campus for the first day of classes I'll be in Minnesota with him you know supporting him as uh as he makes his tough decisions as an athletic director yeah. as well but, you know little little silver lining so um Always yeah. a glass half full. Keep looking for them. That's right. Thank you guys so much. Subscribe to our podcast, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Balado Quebec. You could also find a recording of most of our interviews on YouTube. Yes, that is true. And you know what? You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Away From The Play and on Twitter at Mel underscore and underscore Safs. You can also follow us individually on Twitter at Safs underscore on the go and for myself at Mel The Rock. Special thanks to Matsu Brutus for the music and Naimalu for our logo. Give them both a follow on Instagram. We can't wait to see you next week.